Maybe the way he's leading is more subtle. It's more gentle. And you just find yourself repeatedly thinking about somebody and you don't know why. Perhaps that's his gentle nudge to say, reach out to them. Who knows what will come of it? Take, for example, uh, Mother's Day, I was driving down the interstate headed to Emily's place so we could live stream our service since we weren't in person together. And I drove down the interstate and I saw this beautiful church building with six huge columns in front. And I thought, I wonder how the pastor of that church is doing. And so when I parked at her place before I got out of my car, I just sent a quick text. I'm praying for you and I hope you're doing well. I had no idea that that little encouragement would start a conversation that would lead us to be able to gather in this space permanently. See, maybe following the Holy Spirit is really, really simple. There's somebody I'm thinking about, and I should remind them that they're loved. I should show them that I care. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay, because faith is not about having it all figured out And God is not waiting for you to put your life together before he'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Good morning. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that song that those lyrics go to in that video, but we'll be singing that later today. It's a song called The Doxology, a song of praise that has been sung for several hundred years by the church. And that creed we just confessed, thank you, Roger, for goofing it up so that way I don't look so bad when I do. That creed we just confessed is a creed of the church, a statement of belief declaring who is the God that has brought us here today? Who is the God that is worth our praise? Who is the God that we look to in all circumstances? And that creed for 17 or 1800 years, depending on what history you look at, has led and guided the church. That statement of faith has helped the church to determine why. Why do we do what we do? And to whom? What's it all about? We are in a series about growing in our faith, spiritual growth. How do we discover what God has in store for us? How do we discover the plan that he made for us, the life he wants to give to us? How do we move beyond some of our painful moments into the peace and the joy and the hope that he freely gives. In this series, as we look at ways in which we're called to grow, today we're gonna look at how we grow. See, we've talked about the body that we cannot grow if we try to do it alone, but we need others. And we've talked about the need to be open and honest and share your hurts. But there's more than that. It's not just being with a community that is filled with grace and willing to accept you exactly as you are. It's, it's not just uh, knowing who God is in this abstract or even in this real personal way, 
No, see, to grow in faith and to see growth in your life, you need to know and live by the power of his Holy Spirit. Now, when I talk about the power of the Holy Spirit, anybody come from a church background where immediately those words raise some red flags? Some weird things that people do in the name of the power of the Holy Spirit? Have you ever been there? Just me, okay. Well, that's fine. In some contexts, when we think of the power of the Holy Spirit, the first thing that comes to mind are these crazy miracles and the pastor putting his hand on you and you shaking and falling to the ground and and the first thing that comes to mind is praying in tongues loudly for all to hear or maybe the idea of the power of the Holy Spirit brings to mind a question I was often asked when we first moved here. When we first moved here, I didn't even know this was a thing. Uh, I would tell people that I was a pastor and the response would be, oh, like one of those weird snake handling guys? No. And at first I thought, oh, that's just a joke, right? And then I realized here in Tennessee, that's actually a thing you could come across. Those pastors who, according to a couple of verses in scripture, believe the power of the Holy Spirit is made manifest and known when you bravely and boldly handle deadly and dangerous snakes and you don't care because God will protect you. I just want to strongly encourage you, don't do that, okay? Uh, Because certainly our God can protect you. He can even protect you from a tiger roaming Knoxville. But I still would not encourage you to try to pet the thing. It just doesn't usually end well. The power of the Holy Spirit in some contexts only refers to the supernatural. And when we think about the Holy Spirit only in context of the supernatural, we miss out on a lot of who God is and what he's doing. See, in that creed the church declares, we declare we believe in this Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one. This weird combination of terrible mathematicians, right? Where you have one plus one plus one and somehow it equals one. And, And we declare that all three are the same and yet different and we declare these weird complexities. And I don't know if you've noticed, there's something I find kind of comical in the creed. See, the Apostles' Creed is the shortest of them, and then there's also the Nicene Creed, and then there's the Athanasian Creed, and that one will take me like two days to recite. It's super long. But what happened is, the church said, what is the most basic understanding of who God is that we need to hold to? Not from our own creation, not from our own preference. No, as we look at his word, as we listen to the people who were with him and what they revealed about him, what's the most basic understanding? So they have the father, he created things. Okay, cool, we're, we're good with that. And then they have the son, maybe you notice there's a whole lot about the son, right? He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, he was born of the Virgin Mary, he's a very specific man, a very specific God, a very specific time, and he did these very specific things. And then what do we say about the Holy Spirit? I believe in him. And then we just move right on, right? See, the reason is the church historically, for several hundred years, in fact, the first five or 600 years of the church, everybody in the church said, we believe the Holy Spirit exists, and we believe the Holy Spirit is a really significant part of faith, and a really significant part of scripture, and a really significant part of God, and fully do all the credit. But man, the Holy Spirit confuses us and scares us. And you know, there's a verse in scripture that says the only thing unforgivable is blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. And so out of fear that they would accidentally say the wrong thing and be damned forever, 
If they just simply said, yep, we believe in that. We believe he's there, and we'll just leave it at that. But they all agreed that the Holy Spirit is essential to the life of a Christian. In fact, if you read throughout the New Testament, the Holy Spirit time and time and time again shows up, sometimes in miraculous power, but oftentimes in really little ways, to lead and to guide, to help the church, to give them comfort and peace in times of need. The Holy Spirit is present when Jesus is not. Now, we live in the South, so I might offend some of you. I hear this often, and I have to be uh, honest, I used to say it often, and then I came to realize it's kind of a misunderstanding of Jesus. Sometimes you hear the words, well, Jesus, where is he? He lives in my heart. Jesus is here inside of me. That's actually not what scripture says. In fact, one of the things we'll read here in a moment is that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And when we gather, when we receive communion and we eat his body and his blood, yes, in that sense, he's inside of you. But the Holy Spirit is the one who guides you and directs you for a lot of really good things. This very first thing we'll look at is John chapter six. Jesus, in context, he's speaking about the resurrection and the life that he offers, that he is the life of the whole world. And then he speaks of this. He says this in John chapter six. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. See, the Holy Spirit in scripture, first and foremost, is the reason you're able to cry out to Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit at work inside of you, moving from this place of brokenness and death and sin to draw near to God. Say, God, I need you in my life. I want you here. And so if you ever find yourself wondering, do I have enough faith? Well, answer this question. Can you cry out to God? even if you don't think he answers, even if you're not sure what words to use, even if for any other reason you're just not sure about the process, can you cry out to him? Because if you can, in some capacity, the Holy Spirit is working in you already and already filling you with the very thing you're asking for, the faith to believe when it's really hard to see what God is doing. The Holy Spirit, he draws us to God. But that's not it. There's so much more. In fact, a couple chapters later in John 14, Jesus, he's getting ready to die and he's talking with his disciples. This is kind of his last big monologue before he dies. In chapter 13, Jesus does something remarkable. He tells his disciples that he's going to die and that all of them will fall away and that Peter will deny him And in the midst of telling them about how unfaithful they will be, he takes off his outer robe and he washes their feet. A job reserved for the least of these. A job reserved for the lowest of the low. And Jesus, he takes this gross and disgusting job and he serves them. He says, as I have loved you, so you should love others. Then he continues and he talks about the life that he offers, that in him people find this remarkable life. And all of this is in the context of I'm getting ready to die. Then comes John chapter 14. In verse 15, he says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
Look, if you're my children, do what I've asked. If you're my family, do what matters most to me. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. So Jesus, as he's getting ready to die, he speaks to his disciples, those who were with him, who'd followed him for three years, who'd witnessed miracles, who didn't understand his teaching, those who were there trying their best to totally get it wrong. He says, look, if you love me, I will ask the Father, I will send you another, a helper. That word, that name for helper is also sometimes translated as a counselor or an advocate. I will send one to you in my absence who will help you in every need, who will counsel you when you're hurting. I will send one who will advocate for you when nobody else does. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Trying to comfort his disciples who are a little bit confused. Jesus, do you have a death wish? Like, why are we in Jerusalem? You know it's going to happen, right? And why do you keep talking about dying? Our understanding of God, God can't die. Surely you won't die. The Savior, the one we've been hoping for, he's going to come in power and might, and he's going to fix everything overnight, and it's going to be beautiful. And in the midst of this understanding of the disciples, Jesus says, I'm going to send one when I'm gone who will help you. The spirit of truth. See, in this world filled with sin and brokenness, truth isn't always easy to find. Truth isn't always easy to know. But the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, actually helps us in the midst of all the chaos to figure out what is good and what is not. What is true and what is not. What's worth our time and our energy and what is not. A little bit later, Jesus continues with another promise in 26 as he's talking about how he's not going to leave us as orphans. He's not going to abandon us. He will give us his peace. He continues, he says this, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. See, the Holy Spirit doesn't just lead us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit and his power in our lives continues to teach us who Jesus is. The thing that's really neat about Jesus is there is so much more of him than you and I will ever fathom. I mean, think of this, the, the very verse that Emily read, in the beginning was God, and there in the beginning was the word who is Jesus. In fact, it goes on later to say this word, the one through whom everything was created, the light that shines in darkness, this word took on flesh for you and me. Jesus is infinitely more than any Bible study or Sunday morning experience or any one-time conversion experience or moment. Jesus is simply better than everything this world has to offer. And in all of our knowledge and all of our study and all of our understanding, we will never come close to knowing enough of who he is. 
The Holy Spirit, he works for us to continue to teach us about Jesus. If you've spent much time in your Bible reading God's word, perhaps you've experienced this. You read something and you come back to it three months later or a year later or five years later or 10 years later and you read the exact same words. Suddenly it means something so much different. And you're filled with a deeper sense of understanding that God is with you and for you. You're challenged to say, my life needs to change. When five years ago I read this, I didn't see that. But God is better. There's so much more. The Holy Spirit teaches us who Jesus is and brings to our minds and our hearts remembrance of the things he said. So when you find yourself at a loss, God, where are you? God, what do I do next? Where do I go from here? It's the Holy Spirit's job to guide us and to teach us and to show us what's next. Jesus, he continues. In chapter 15, he talks about how we are obligated, we need to abide in him, and he uses an agricultural metaphor like a branch abiding in the vine. Right? We have to remain connected because if we're disconnected, we're gonna wither and die. We lose the nutrients, we lose everything, our source of life. If we are disconnected, how will we grow? And he talks about being the vine and how we need to abide in him. And then he gives this commandment again that we would love one another And he warns, says, I warn you in this pursuit, the world will hate you. Now, hear me out. There are a lot of people who want to claim the world is hating them and persecuting them. And generally it's because of a loss of comfort or a loss of privilege or a loss of their way of thinking and doing. But here in the US, in very few cases, are any one of us actually persecuted? It's just not our world that we live in? Are there parts of the world where people are thrown in prison and tortured and actually killed because they confess Jesus? Absolutely. Most most of the time, not so much here. But Jesus, he warns, he says, look, the world will hate you because it's hated me. And if they will kill me, if the world will kill me, imagine how much more they will do to you. Then again, he gives them peace. And then he says this, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. In other places, he talks about how the the spirit to come, the Holy Spirit, will actually give us the words to say when we're being persecuted. When we don't have answers to tough questions, the Holy Spirit will be the one who helps us know how do we respond. The Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father and from the Son, this Spirit will bear witness about Jesus. Now before we continue with the next chapter, I have to ask this question. Do these things sound like the power of the Spirit in your life? See, I I don't mean that in like an accusation that you're failing your faith isn't enough, but I think the church talks about the Spirit so seldomly, and we talk about the power of the Spirit so weirdly, so often when we do talk about it, that for many of us, we're like, I have no idea what it means for God to be teaching me these things. I have no idea what it means 
to be equipped with the words to speak by the power of the Holy Spirit and not my own reason and ration, rationality, not my own ability. For many of us, the idea of the Spirit leading us each and every day is a really good abstract concept, but we don't actually know how does he lead us. What changes because of the Spirit's presence with us? What's different about me than about all of my friends who aren't Christian or who are marginally Christian or maybe even my friends who don't like Jesus? We'll continue. It says this in chapter 16. I'm gonna be reading a lot from verses four through 15, but I invite you to... uh, pull out your Bible and read with me or to just look at the couple of verses we'll put on the screen. In chapter 16, at the end of this monologue, before Jesus goes away to pray, see in 17 comes this remarkable moment. Jesus actually, on the night before he died, went away and prayed to the Father that the Holy Spirit would come for his followers. And not only those who were there in that time, but all who would come after See, right after what Jesus is about to tell us, he goes away and he prays directly for you and for me. Have you ever thought about the fact that the God of the universe who would give his life for us would also bend his knee to pray for us? And right before this, this is what he says. Beginning in verse four. Did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. See, Jesus, he recognizes that none of them want to hear the reality that he's getting ready to die, that he's getting ready to leave them. In fact, in other gospels, they even ask directly, what do you mean you're leaving? How will we know where to find you? He says, you know, because you've been with me. And they're kind of left confused, like, huh? What? So it's like, I'm getting ready to leave you, and that's why I tell you these things now. And your hearts are filled with sorrow because it's not the plan that you had. It's not the way you envisioned it. It's not what you were hoping for. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. See, Jesus, he recognizes the pain his disciples are about to experience. The hardship and the suffering as a result of his death and all of their life to come after that. He says, I know you want me to stay, but it's better that I leave. I think that's pretty remarkable. This Holy Spirit, this helper that Jesus wanted to send It's better for Jesus to be gone in the flesh that we can have the Holy Spirit than for Jesus to be right here in front of us. How can that be? How can it be better for him to be gone? Well, it says this in verse eight, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. He says, when this helper comes, the reason it will be better for you 
is this helper will convict the world about sin and righteousness and judgment. And in one of a few different places, Jesus actually explains next what he means. See, concerning sin, this helper will convict the world that it did not believe in me. I believe in Jesus, I love Jesus, and yet I often do things that are very sinful. Sometimes by choice and sometimes because it's just who I am. And sometimes I sin on purpose and sometimes on accident. To be convicted concerning sin is to see the reality of this cross upon which Jesus hung. To see the depth that he would go that you and I could live. How much he would give for somebody as broken and sinful as me and as you. And yet I continue to do the very things that cause me harm. I continue to think the very thoughts that cause you harm. I continue to speak the very words that put Jesus there on that cross. This Holy Spirit will convict us concerning sin. And righteousness will convict us because he's before the Father. The Holy Spirit points us to the reality that we have one standing before the creator of the universe on our behalf. We have one standing there interceding for us, saying, God, have mercy for them. For my sake, not mine, but his sake, Father, have mercy on them. See, the Holy Spirit's job is not just to draw us to faith and not just to teach us about Jesus. It's his job to help us see those places in our life where we don't quite line up. Where the things we believe and the things that we do and the things that we say don't measure up to this truth of what Jesus has done for us. And this third thing, to convict us of judgment that the ruler of this world is judged. That's really good news for you and me. You see, to be convicted of judgment is to know that all of the rulers of this world, and I'm not talking presidents and prime ministers, no, the rulers of this world, which the Bible describes as powers of darkness, they have been judged. And because they've been judged by God, you and I are not. You and I are set free, declared to be free. All of that guilt and shame and condemnation is no more. Because the rulers of this world have been judged. Anytime we walk through hardship, anytime this world hates us, anytime we experience pain and suffering, we have a sure and steadfast hope. This is not the end. This isn't what it's all about. There will come a day when Christ returns, when he comes down to judge the living and the dead as we declared in that creed. And on that day, everything will be made right again. So we walk through the mess and the pain and the junk and we walk through all the hurt and we enter into other people's hurt and we do all of this joyfully because we know what Christ has won. The Holy Spirit 
doesn't just teach us about God or draw us to faith or convict us of sin and judgment and righteousness. The Holy Spirit actually produces in you and in me growth. In Galatians, uh, another book written by Paul in this book, Paul, he, he spends most of the book writing against other Christians who are leading people to believe they're not good enough because their actions don't measure up. And, and Paul, he's like, that's not the truth of the gospel. The truth is that Christ died for all people. And then in chapter five, he spells out a whole lot of sinfulness that many of us once walked in. Envy and drunkenness and greed and lust and all of these things that he spells out. We once did that. But now, now we don't. Verse 22, he says this, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law says, the fruit of the Spirit are these things. If the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, these things are the result. I'm not a very good gardener. Uh, I tend to kill a lot of things, mostly because I forget to continue to water them. And so I love planting them, and then that's it. And that's not how things work. But, but the Bible talks about fruit as the result of walking with the Spirit. If your life looks the same that it did two years ago, you're missing out on some of the good things God wants you to experience. You see, the Holy Spirit, when his power is at work in you, begins to bear fruit that you begin to be filled with love and joy and kindness and peace and patience. Wouldn't the world be better if we were all filled with just a little bit more patience? Don't pray for that, though because he'll give you a lot of opportunities to practice. See, fruit doesn't happen overnight. Fruit comes from abiding in a vine, growing and being connected, and it's a process that starts in one place, and over time you see a transformation. If you and I want to know what it looks like to live by the power of the Holy Spirit, to experience growth, we need to be asking Jesus for the Holy Spirit to be doing these things. When we catch ourselves being impatient at the car that doesn't know how to use a blinker. Jesus, I am impatient. Would your Holy Spirit give me patience? See, this Holy Spirit, this helper, is one who's really good and really loving, but he's not very forceful. And I don't mean that like he can't be forceful but he's not making you change. He's there and he's available and you and I have this difficult reality that he's there and he's available and yet he waits for us to ask. He says, when you're ready to grow, here I am. When you want your life to look different, here I am. And, and there's this reality that we have to hold in tension of not doing the work in partnership with the Spirit, but we also don't sit back idly and say, it's not my problem, God will figure it out. So what does this look like practically to live by the Spirit? Well, first, I think living by the Spirit means stopping on a, on a regular basis and listening 
to the Spirit. How do we do that? I think few of us have ever heard an audible voice speaking, thus saith the Lord, right? How do we listen to the Spirit? Well, perhaps you could ask, is there something I need to be doing today that I haven't been doing before? Is there somebody I need to love differently today? Is there some way that I've been acting that's been causing pain to the people around me? And then we listen. And how do we know his voice? We test it according to God's word. If he's telling you, you're kind of selfish right now. Maybe it's your job to apologize, to seek the person that you've wronged and try to bring reconciliation. Maybe the way he's leading is more subtle, it's more gentle, and you just find yourself repeatedly thinking about somebody and you don't know why. Perhaps that's his gentle nudge to say, reach out to them. Who knows what'll come of it? Take, for example, uh, Mother's Day, I was driving down the interstate headed to Emily's place so we could live stream our service since we weren't in person together. And I drove down the interstate and I saw this beautiful church building with six huge columns in front. And I thought, I wonder how the pastor of that church is doing. And so when I parked at her place before I got out of my car, I just sent a quick text. I'm praying for you and I hope you're doing well. And I had no idea that that little encouragement would start a conversation that would lead us to be able to gather in this space permanently. See, maybe following the Holy Spirit is really, really simple. There's somebody I'm thinking about and I should remind them that they're loved. I should show them that I care. Maybe it's really, really hard to follow the Holy Spirit because the very thing he's showing you is something that deep down inside you don't want to let go of. You find yourself struggling with relationships that keep failing and you want to say it's their fault. They caused this pain. But what the Holy Spirit's putting inside is maybe your need for acceptance or your fear of rejection or whatever the deep-seated wound is, maybe that's the thing that's destroying your relationships. To live by the Holy Spirit is to surrender our lives to him. Is there any part of me you want to change? Is there any part of the way I think that's not healthy? Is there any part of me that is hurting that I need healing in? And if you ask and you ask and you still don't know, maybe what you need is to find other people to help you discover what the Holy Spirit's saying. Not in the sense of these other people know God better than you do, but the Holy Spirit often confirms what he's saying to you through other people. I'll give you another example. On our second week in this space, just a couple months after that uh, text message, I pull up and I see three guys dressed a little nicer than most people at the point dress. Because like most of us don't normally wear button-up pants and slacks, or button-up shirts. I hope you have buttons on your pants, right? <laughs> most of us don't wear button-up shirts and slacks, and I was like, those guys look out of place. That's weird, so I walked over to him, and I, this was early before anybody else was here. I just walked over and said hello, and it turns out that one of the guys had a dream the night before of a monastery with archways and red roofs. And he's like, hey, you know, I've seen that building a whole bunch because for the last five years, they've been consistently walking through this neighborhood, these three friends, 
praying for anybody and everybody, whatever they see. And so when he'd had this dream, which may or may not have had any sort of significant meaning to it, he said, I should just go down to that space and I should just pray for the people who someday will meet in that space. He had no idea that we were meeting in this space. And so following the Holy Spirit, these three guys were praying for us. And I've grown to really befriend them. They have consistently been coming back and praying for every one of us every single week because I just feel led to pray for the people of the point. Last week on Saturday, I got up early. Saturday is my day when I tell my kids go back to bed at seven o'clock, right? I'm not ready to get up. But I got up early and I came in here and joined seven other guys, not a single one of whom belongs to the point. Guys from all over this, this city who belong to multiple different churches, who have lots of different theological backgrounds, but every one of them said, we want to gather in this space and pray for your people. Can we do that? Absolutely. And I sat in here and I watched a room full of grown men, most of whom are old enough to be my dad, crying as they prayed for you. See, the Holy Spirit works in weird ways, ways we don't often know. But when we're faithful and we take a little step and say, I think you're leading me to do this, and we find other people who can speak into that and affirm it and say, yes, this seems good to us in the Holy Spirit we'll begin to see God lead us to grow in ways we never knew possible. And the little things, the really big things. As we finish today, I wanna to encourage you in this. The thing about the Holy Spirit that is so great is there is never a point in your life where you waited too long to start following him. See, wherever you're at in your journey, whether you're brand new to faith and you've never stepped foot in a church before and this is all so foreign to you, whether you've been walking with God for 70 some years, he's still doing something today to reveal to you who Jesus is, to show you what's next in your life and how to live in this world that's filled with no truth. Now what? And the Holy Spirit is eager to create in you love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness, self-control. Will you join me in this endeavor? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are at work inside of us, that you lead us in subtle ways, that you put people on our mind we need to pray for or we need to reach out to Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have sent us your Holy Spirit to guide us, to teach us who you are and what you do, to show us what's next in our life, to walk us through those painful times, those difficult times. God, we pray today you would convict us of our sin. Help us to see the ways that we have not loved you with our whole heart. God, help us to see the ways that we need to work towards healing with those whom we've hurt. God, we pray you would teach us to listen to your subtle whispers, the times when dreams persist, the times when ideas continue, the times when we can't seem to shake people we need to love differently. 
and help us to walk with you and with one another, that we can build each other up, that we can be rooted in you, that we can grow to live out in the fullness of who you are and what you're doing. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. As we continue our worship, we're going to collect an offering at this time. Uh, We're still not yet passing those popcorn buckets down the the aisles and the rows or pews and chairs, but uh, we do have the popcorn buckets in the back. If you came prepared to give today to support what God's doing in and through this place, uh, you can do so with cash and check in those buckets, or you can do so at thepointknox.com by clicking on the little blue button in the bottom corner. However you give and whatever you give, know this, we don't give to get his love, we give because we already have it. Thank you. Now every week we invite your questions, we uh, desire questions, we think questions are a super healthy part of faith, and so I haven't looked at them yet, but uh, if you text in the end today, I'm going to do my best to try to help. All right, we have um, a handful of questions. So first is... The easiest one? Do you want the easiest one first? Yeah, let's start off with one I know I'll nail. What does Pastor Adam's sticker say? We can't see it from live stream. Stay a waver. Uh, Normally I I say hugger, but uh, since I was traveling this week, I want to do my part to try to keep you healthy. So I'm trying to stay at a further distance than normal so that I can make sure everybody stays healthy. So stay a waver. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, Okay, so the lot... The next three are a little bit more difficult. Sorry. All right. Um, okay, so if a person who is a believer is then befallen by intense emotional and or physical pain and cries out to God in a state of hopelessness and anger, will that person be with God in the afterlife if they don't make amends with God before they die? Whew, you went from real easy okay, to... <laughs> in my defense, I did not text that in. Yeah, you, okay. Uh, I will say this, I don't know who's going to be in the afterlife raised to everlasting life or not. I don't know that because I'm not God. What I do know is there's a promise in scripture that when we cry out to him, he always answers and that we can be in all kinds of states of emotional mess and pain and sorrow and we can even be persisting in sin and still be forgiven and loved by God. And that's why one of the things we do here is we believe baptism is really, really helpful to cling to as a promise because God has marked me as his own, even through all of this mess, I have hope. So if you're somebody and you're in that place and you're like, will I be saved? The answer's really, really simple. Yes, Jesus has saved you. If you're in that place and you're really hurting, it's also really simple. Don't hurt alone. Let's cry out to God with you and help you find the peace that he's promised now and not later. All right, so second question, or third question. So could we not have Jesus and the Holy Spirit? Is it like a coupon code? You can only use one at a time? A coupon code, I don't think so. (laughs) But uh, the reason it's good that Jesus is gone is because Jesus is before the presence of God the Father advocating on our behalf. So like imagine if you had the red, the red phone directly to the White House, right? Whoever's in the White House, it doesn't matter. And you could just like pick up the phone and say, I really wish that Knoxville had more tigers roaming around. And boom, it happened, right? Or you're like, I'm really having a bad day at work. It, I'd, it'd be so much better if I got a raise. And boom, okay, it happens, right? Like 
that's not how God works. He's not just a vending machine giving us cool tigers and stuff. However, uh, because Jesus is gone in person, he's there in the flesh as a man who knows all of our sorrow and our suffering and what it's like to hurt. And he's standing before God the Father for your sake, praying. And that's, that should be a really comforting thing. So we could have both and there will come a day when Jesus returns and we will have both. But for now, we have the, the Holy Spirit. If he stuck around, would there have been atonement? I think there still would have been because the atonement, which is a fancy word for forgiveness of sins, being made right with God, happens in his death and resurrection. But that's one I'll have to think about more and come back to you. He definitely needed to die and needed to rise. It's the ascension part, going to the Father that's in question. I think he needed to because that's what he did and he knows better than I do. (laughs) All right, last question. Since a lot of churches and people avoid talking about the Holy Spirit, how do we go about talking to other people about the Spirit without freaking them out? (laughs) I promise you, if you walk up to someone, you're like, God told me today that I need to tell you this. They're probably going to be really weirded out, especially if they're not Christian. So just be a normal person. Really simply, I, I didn't send in that text message like, God put it on my heart to tell you anything, right? I just simply said, how are you? I'm praying for you. So we can communicate what the Holy Spirit's doing by just communicating. And there will come times when somebody's like, how did you know that I was in need of this? Probably because God is bigger than me and he knows better than me. Like I, I often hear, and this makes me chuckle, I often hear from people who are like, how did you know exactly what I was going through when you wrote that sermon? Unless you told me, I don't. Like I can Facebook stock to some measure, but if you haven't put it out there, I don't know. And so um, it's not that I necessarily know exactly what you're going through, but the Holy Spirit works at the things you hear or the things that touch you where you need to be, where you need him to change or heal or bring comfort or encouragement. So how do we talk about the Holy Spirit? Just be a normal person who loves. And when the timing's right, he'll give you the words to talk about it. All right? That's it. Cool. That's the questions. Awesome. All right. Well, then, before we do the benediction to close, we're going to sing one more song. You're welcome to stand. You're welcome to sit. Um, I do ask, however you sing, uh, that you actually sing. And the reason for that is, have you ever been in a room full of voices of people singing? It's really encouraging. So if your voice is terrible, that's okay. That's why you're not up here. That's also why I turn my microphone off when I'm down here, because my voice is too. So we're going to sing the song, and then we'll have the blessing before we go, and uh, that'd be great. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.